0: You're tuned in to the show on the road, a music discovery podcast where every episode I'll dive deep into the creative minds of your new favorite songwriters, band leaders, and sonic explorers, who, like me, have dedicated their lives to traveling the world, telling their strange stories to anyone who'll listen. My name is Zach Lupatin. Let's go. This week on the show, we feature a conversation I had with a rising star in boundary-bending country and take-no-prisoners rock and roll, who grew up in tour buses and has the thrill and pain of living and singing on the biggest stages deep in her bloodstream, Aubrey Sellers. Let's step back for a second and ask ourselves, what have we really been doing since the pandemic hit in late February? I can't quite tell if I've done nothing or everything these last six months. I've written a binder of about a dozen new songs that no one is really asking for. I've grown tomatoes for the first time, successfully. I've talked to about 20 artists over the phone. The boys in Wolfpack and the Wood Brothers and Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics and Cat Edmondson. I've gone to the beach about 89 times and eaten about 25 mangoes with tahini in the sun, which I never would have done in a van far from home on tour. And while nothing is certain really in these times, there is one thing I know will happen every week. On Friday nights, on cue, we'll take my old projector out, we'll put it on a chair, and we'll point it at the wall in our driveway, we'll light up a fire, and we'll watch Ferris Bueller and Clueless and try to make sense about what's really happening in our crazy world right now. And in the meantime, while we've been doing everything and nothing at all, Aubrey Sellers has managed to release both a striking new LP of twisty guitar-drenched originals and Far From Home, collaborating with her roots rock heroes like Steve Earle in the process, while also pushing herself to release an EP of beloved covers, the aptly titled World on Fire. In rejuvenating a favorite track like Chris Isaac's Wicked Game, which you may hear under me right now, she takes a song we all thought we knew, and transforms it into a poisonous, reverb-zapped revelation that seems like it could have just arrived on the radio last week out of nowhere. This is what Aubrey does best. With a voice like a rocket, she can lift the songs that we've heard a million times into the stratosphere and make them into something completely new. Still only 27 years old, Aubrey feels and sounds like an old soul who is less interested in climbing the current country charts with a slick radio hit about trucks and backyard parties and ex-boyfriends than mining thornier material like her history of anxiety which we talk about in this conversation. And while she's managed to play bars and theaters and festivals and marinas around the world, she's also had to wrestle with her stage fright that can sometimes be crippling. I really admire people like Aubrey, who can get out of the bear traps in their mind and come out the other side stronger than ever. And you know what, I think on the other side of this crazy shutdown, we are gonna be better. Think of the art coming out of these days. And there's already been real results that have come from people gathering in the streets and lifting their voices together. In Louisville, Kentucky, for example, you are no longer allowed to have a no-knock warrant like the one that killed Breonna Taylor. That is because people stood up and demanded change. And today when I record this, it is voter registration day. If you haven't registered to vote, it is 41 days away. 41 days until the election that changes America. All you have to do is go to vote.org, super easy, vote.org, put your information in, and you will find what you need on there. And for some unexpected good news, uh, October 2nd, I might get a little bit of my soul back. That's when a local lineup of my gang, Dust Bowl Revival, will play our first live show in six months and ten days. It's called the Speakeasy Sessions, and it's hosted by Jam in the Van here in West L.A. under the stars. Only 20 seats and 10 socially distanced plots were released. So please check it out on jaminthevan.com and dustbowlrevival.com, and I hope to see you there. Uh, please stick around to the end of the episode to hear an acoustic at-home performance of Far From Home from Aubrey Sellers. That is the title track of her new record. If you go to com slash episodes, you can see all of our previous shows. And if you want to be a friend to our podcast, please share this with your friends and family. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and leave us a kind review. Okay, here she is now, the wonderful Aubrey Sellers.
1: world was on fire no could save me, buddy. He-
2: in california and i put out a record this year far from home and then the pandemic struck and i've been at my house
0: (laughs) it's like a a road trip album for people who no longer can road trip
2: yeah (laughs) exactly you can drive around in your car to this record to you know get out of the house that's that's (laughs) what it's for
0: have you had a daily routine since this all shut down
2: you know, when it first happened, I went to Texas for a little while and was with my family. And my grandmother started making masks and selling them uh, online, so I was helping her with that, and I still help her with that uh, online. And you know, otherwise, I've just been like, you know, trying to adapt. I made a Patreon account and have been, you know, doing online shows and stuff for that, and. And yeah, it's not really a routine so much as just scrambling around <laughs> trying to do whatever I can.
0: That's awesome that your grandma's doing that.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. She's got a little shop on Etsy called Gifts by Gertie, and, and she's been making masks, which is great. And and I've been doing that, yeah, and just doing music, and I've been actually finishing my degree, too, so just uh, keeping myself busy.
0: What are you studying?
2: Political science. <laughs> That's what I started my... Degree in when I went to college ten years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is kind of a good time to go back to school. It's like, what else are we really doing?
2: Exactly, and I I love open school, our minds, so it's it's fun for me.
0: But your you know education growing up with you know your your mom and and your dad are both obviously performers and songwriters. Uh, for folks who don't know, your mom is Leanne Womack, and you kind of grew up on a tour bus and seeing that life firsthand.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of people ask. You know how do you learn music, or you know whatever, and it's like i I grew up around it. There was no real learning it; I just kind of absorbed it. And since both my parents sing, and my dad actually grew up playing gospel music with his family, and my uh, mom's dad was a country radio DJ, you know, part time. Uh, and so music is just in the family, and and I grew up around it. And and so not only did I homeschool in music, but I also literally homeschooled. My mom (laughs) homeschooled me. So I really did grow up on the road all the time.
0: I mean, it is a family business like any other family business in a way, (laughs) you know, some people, (laughs) you know, join their dad's furniture business or your, you know, my dad is a a voiceover artist, you know, who does announcing for commercials and different stuff. And I never thought I would ever be associated with anything like that. And then I found myself working in advertising when I moved out to LA, Mm -hmm. you know, and would play music at night. And you're like, okay, I'm basically kind of doing what my dad's doing.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, uh, it's just when, when it's something that you live and breathe and have just been around your whole life, it's kind of impossible to turn away from it. I had my own, you know, I'm, I started acting when I was eight years old and that was kind of my hobby that I had for myself, you know, cause I did need something that was separate <laughs> so that, you know, because especially when you have two parents that are really successful in the business, it feels, you know, kind of overwhelming. And I think you want to make an identity for yourself. And so for that reason, I think I was always a little drawn towards acting, but I knew music was there and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And and then eventually when I did start making my own music, uh, it was important for me to have my own voice uh, with that, too.
0: Yeah, when your mom's record, you know, I hope you dance really blew up and kind of crossed over into the pop world did it feel like you had to share your mom with a larger public or was it much more of a um natural progression
2: yeah. I mean, it was a natural progression for sure. When I was very little, you know, my dad was a touring musician and my mom didn't have a record deal or anything yet. And so we lived in a little apartment in Hendersonville. And and so it wasn't like I was born into success necessarily with music, you know? Um, so it was, I kind of got to be a part of the whole journey, you know? Um, and, you know, since I was homeschooled and all that as well, I got to go and experience all of it. So I, you know, I got to be on the road a lot and, and travel with her and have lots of great experiences that way. And, and so I, I think I was lucky in that way because I didn't have to sit at home and, you know, although sometimes I did go to normal school, you know, for a few years in my life and was away from them a little more, especially when I was a little older. But, you know, when I was younger, I got to tour with her. And so it, it felt like I still got to have her. And, I, you know, I didn't feel like I was sitting at home away from my parents constantly.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about having your folks do something that's a little cooler than the other parents, <laughs> you know, he wasn't working traditional hours. You know? Yeah. He would, he would get a job <laughs> and then he would just be around, you know, for sure. And, and then I w- I started doing, you know, these commercials as a kid. So I would like take the train down when I was like 13, you know, in Chicago. And my teacher would be like, okay, I guess you're going to go do a like McDonald's happy meal commercial instead of, Doing trigonometry, I was like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I
2: love that stuff. And of course, I'm like, I'm a huge homeschool advocate to this day because I just love the idea of people getting to have different experiences. And I think it makes you, you know, unique as an adult too. And, and it just gives people different outlooks. So I, I'm, a, I love that. I love people living an unconventional life.
0: You have a song called "Troublemaker," which I was digging. And Thank you you have this line. And the first thing I remember was that I wasn't afraid to break a tooth.
2: <laughs>
0: Were you a rebellious young person?
2: <laughs> um, it's really funny. Cause I, I, I view myself as kind of a, I don't know, paradox. Sometimes I feel like I'm opposites. I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm rebellious in a lot of ways, but not just to be rebellious. I think that I'm just naturally, um, maybe because I grew up, like we were just talking about unconventionally, uh, I haven't been, you know, much of a rule follower. I think, you know, I just kind of buck convention naturally, I think in that way, but I'm also an achiever. And I'm a, as much as I'm a creative person, I'm also a, ambitious person. I'm also an organized person. I'm, you know, I called you right on time. <laughs>
0: like Yes, you did.
2: So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm I'm opposites, I think, in a lot of ways. And so, yes, I would say I'm rebellious, but not in the way of rebelling just to rebel. I mean, I think it's just, I don't, you know, I always try to look at things unconventionally and, and just um, do things that are honest to me and true to me. And, and since I grew up in a different way and, and had different experiences, I think that that's just naturally going to be a little bit left of center.
0: Well, I think there's subtle rebellion, right? Like you are using the electric guitar in a lot of your work as this sort of character in the songs. There's this grunge punk rock underbelly to a lot of your songs that makes it not just country and way beyond country and mm-hmm. it's it hits pretty hard at times, you know. I almost felt like I was listening to a Nirvana track that was lost oh, when I, love I heard <laughs> uh, "Troublemaker." You know, it was like if if Kurt Cobain could have, you know, come back as a <laughs> lady country singer, maybe he would be.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, I take that as a high compliment. I love Nirvana. <laughs> classic rock led zeppelin era ccr that kind of stuff but also the era of rock that i grew up in and you know which starts with nirvana and, and kind of goes into the white stripes and the strokes and in that era of rock too and so yeah all of that influenced my music just as much as growing up listening to george jones and merle haggard and you know dolly parton and loretta lynn and steve Earle. that era you know uh, dwight Yoakum, um Amy Lou harris all that stuff. And Buddy and Julie Miller were also a huge influence on me. And, and I also love old blues music. And so all that stuff kind of came together, I think, when I was writing and, and making my own music.
0: Yeah, because I think the traditional old school country that I fell in love with, you know, Johnny Cash and, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings, it's like there is this um, appreciation of black music especially that is mm-hmm. always uh, rooted in gospel and blues. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the more glossy uh, pop country stuff out on Top 40 Radio has forgotten a lot of that or willfully ignores it, it feels Mm like.
2: It's definitely lost a lot of soul and grit. I think that, you know, that's one thing that I've tried to avoid or maybe naturally avoid is, you know, over-slicking my records in a way that if you tune too much and do all these other things i think it adds up more than you end up realizing and then you know it it sucks a lot of the soul out of it and and there's nothing else to be revealed after after you've listened to it one time you know and and so exactly like you said i think a lot of that early influence and soul is really missing
0: let's go back for a second so when do you start writing your own songs
2: Well, you know, I got my first guitar when I was 13 and was playing music as a teenager and writing, you know, for fun, but not seriously. And I think around 2012 was when I really started writing full time and writing with other people and thinking that potentially this could mean I'm going to make my own record at some point. Um, You know, so I would say that's when I really started getting familiar with that side of the business and, and just doing it with the intention of possibly making music. I think I I had just left college actually, um, to pursue music. So that was when I really started and it was a organic process. I didn't try to force it. I really wanted to take my time and make sure that, you know, I was figuring out exactly what I wanted it to be and, you know, writing things that were true to me. and, And I think you just have to kind of live the process for a little while to let that happen. And and uh, then I ended up writing a lot with a guy named Adam Wright who played guitar, my first record and, and this new record as well. Um, and we really hit it off. And I think he was a big part of, you know, we, we went in the studio for that first record and did some pre-production. We just kind of did like guitar vocals and just getting used to being in the studio as a solo artist and singing my own songs and, and figuring out what I liked. And actually the first session we did, did was just me and him and an acoustic guitar, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> that was when I realized I don't want an acoustic guitar on my record, <laughs> and and so it was just like a discovery process in that way. And and Frank Liddell helped a lot with that as well. He's very good about kind of looking at what I like and what I was writing and, and helping me see, uh, you know, the common threads through through it all.
0: Yeah. So that first solo records called uh, New City Blues 2016. And, yeah, I mean, Adam really lends this textural backdrop to your songs with this muscular electric sound that, again, you wouldn't expect to hear on, you know, Nashville Top 40 radio. It's a little weirder. It's a little more angular. And, um, And yet, you know, the funny thing is is that, you know, you don't get to choose what song people listen to most right it's like a <laughs> an accidental thing that happens on spotify or whatever where people yeah. gravitate sometimes to these very <laughs> romantic simpler quieter songs you know totally and uh you know your most listened to song unless i'm seeing this wrong is something special right
2: yeah that yeah. had a resurgence recently and it kind yeah of with, shot up.
0: which is like a very sweet kind of like romantic number that I would sort of like play my wife if we want to slow dance in the living room you know <laughs> yeah
2: people like sweet stuff and you know it, it's especially for playlisting too you know it's hard to judge all of that because I don't think that even necessarily means that that's you know, it could have been the song that's playlisted the most, or it could have been, you know, there's so many things. And also, you know, I feel like so much of playlisting is becoming background music, you know, like stuff people put on, like on a mood playlist when they're having dinner. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's, it's hard to kind of look at all that and really take stock in it. But I do notice a lot of people gravitate, gravitate towards those sweet songs as well, just because, you know, um, I think that that's just a more palatable thing sometimes for people, but but you know it just depends on the fan. I think different. I think one thing I've also noticed about both my records, um, especially this last one, is that different people gravitate towards different songs. You know,
0: but it shows your songwriting dynamic. I mean, you can really go quiet and sweet, and you can get real <laughs> dark and big, and and <laughs> and uh, you know questioning everything and. <laughs> yeah. I think you need both to be a full 360 artist. You know, it's not just, well, we're going to only rock out every damn song, you know, because that's yeah. not you either.
2: No, it's not. You know, I I was also really influenced by like Daniel Lanois and I love that dreamy type sound. Um, and that was on both my records as well, I think. And I'm really drawn towards that. So that's as much a part of me as, as any of that stuff, you know. And when I'm playing live, I really prefer to rock out. And, you know, but... Um, But I'm becoming more comfortable with playing the sweeter songs, too. We could
1: go down to the lake, throw off our shoes, jump into the water like there's nothing to lose. Sky don't get no
0: found that with uh, our Dust Bowl revival new record that the most powerful part of this set when we were able to briefly tour on our new record which came out (laughs) in January was when we would do the big rocking song about injustice and and gun control and then we would bring it way down to the song let it uh, go about sort of facing your fears and stop, you know being so hard on yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just basically a A to a D minor chord for five straight minutes. You know? <laughs> and yeah. the band really wouldn't come into like minute four, you know, yeah. but the whole audience would be like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> and they, it's like that. this frozen in place moment where, I love just playing one to four on the, on the guitar over and over again. It's like, <laughs> you can't always get what you want. The Stones, like, it never gets old.
2: Totally. The moment on this record, I think, for me, was Haven't Even Kissed Me Yet, which is a really intimate song. And, and I think I, d- I did get to play a few so- a few shows uh, before all this hit, and it was definitely that moment for me as well, just kind of me and a guitar. Um, and that's really... Well, Some of the most vulnerable stuff I've ever done on stage, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to continue doing it through this year because I had a hard time getting used to uh, touring as a solo artist. It took me years to even become remotely comfortable, and it was kind of just starting to happen. and And so, uh, it's going to be interesting trying to jump back in (laughs) after this.
0: And you've been open about your struggle with anxiety and and trying to move past that as an artist Um, and it always lurks within a lot of us when you get up on stage the vulnerability Mm -hmm. that's always there to share this story that's inside you and people may not get it people may be judging you people may be questioning you know if you're truly original or are you just ripping off your mom or something that you you know saw on tv it's like you never know what people are thinking and you Mm -hmm. just gotta kind of leave it out there
2: oh yeah I'm very much like noticing every facial expression people are making and putting an entire backstory on it while I'm trying to sing a song (laughs) like thinking all this in my head and you know I finally was stopping that a little bit and Yeah, I would just get terrible, terrible anxiety and stage fright. I mean, it was just awful. And I know a lot of people go through that. And and so, actually, hearing stories of other people going through that was a huge help to me, too. But I think a big part of it when you struggle with anxiety, because mine isn't just, you know, exclusive to the stage. I mean, I have it in, in a lot of my life. And. I think one of the biggest things is just exposing yourself to things. It, it takes the edge off of them. You know, I mean, they, they have an actual term for it, exposure therapy. But, um, you know, when you do something over and over again, it just takes that edge off of it finally. And even, you know, if it's something that huge that's having that big of an effect on you, it might take a long time. And there were definitely times when... I questioned if I could do it or continue doing it because it didn't seem to be going away, you know, and I thought maybe I'm not made for this because I'm so introverted and so anxious that maybe I need to have a job where I don't have to <laughs> be in front of people. But, uh, if, you know, after doing it for a long time, I finally started to kind of take that edge off and be able to open up a little bit more and, and uh, started to finally enjoy it, which is so great because I love playing music for people. That's why I make it. You know, I want to connect with people. I, I did you find funny enough you for me to like? You know, I guess a lot it? of people turn to drinking and all that kind of stuff, and and I can't do that either because it makes my anxiety worse. <laughs> so for me, it was about control, like organizing, like you know, trying to just control as much as I could. And I think that was kind of my outlet, as, as far as mm. you know, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to have, you know, I don't know, I have everything the certain way. I, I would bring. There was a time where I would have, I don't know if you've seen those mindfulness coloring books uh, that for adults. There was a time when I, all I could do was do that until I had to go on stage because if I, it was uh-huh. just enough to keep my mind off of, you know what I mean? It was like just enough to keep my mind occupied and keep my mind off of the stress and worry. And I would just do that for hours. It's <laughs> and so that's a way, a version of self medicating, I guess, that's probably a little bit safer than drugs. Uh, and, you know, there were just different coping mechanisms like that that I had for, for a long time.
0: Have you gotten uh, starstruck recently? Anyone that you've uh, seen in person? I'm
2: trying to think. I mean, obviously, I haven't seen anyone in a while, but I got to uh, open up for Tanya Tucker. That was actually maybe... I, I might have done a few shows after that, but it was one of the last shows I played. I opened up for her in New York City at town hall and I'd met her before. Um, but it was just super cool being able to play with someone who not only has had such a legendary career, but just put out that new record and is still continuing to make great music. And, you know, it was just a really great experience. And I think that that night I'll never forget it. Her daughter brought me flowers on stage and I cried on stage for the first time. And my record came out that day. So, you know, um, that was just a big moment for me and probably one of my, favorite moments ever, especially this year.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to that song haven't even kissed me yet. Tell me a little more about that one.
2: Yeah, that song was something that I just sat down and wrote, it poured out of me all at once, you know, which honestly doesn't ha- happen to me that often. Um and it's, you know, just a really honest, intimate moment and I remember at the time I was signed to Warner Brothers and I had taken in to someone at the label and sat there and played this really intimate song of my, you know, life story and, or a real life story that I had experienced. And, you know, their response was, do you think it needs a bridge? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just had this moment, I think, where I was like, okay, I'm not sure that, that this is where I need to be, you know, because this is the kind of music I want to make. And, this was such an honest, intimate moment for me, and I, I kind of knew how I wanted it to sound on the record and all this stuff. And and I started to realize, I think, turning in these songs and writing these songs and being on the road for the first time as a solo artist and just experiencing the business and all these other things um, and realizing that, you know, maybe this wasn't the best fit for me and, and that... I couldn't be plugged into the system that was already built, you know? And and so I, th- I think of that with that song in particular because I remember that response having such a impact on me when I turned it in, you know? But playing it for people has been a really great thing because I feel like people really understand the intimacy of, of that. And I've had a you know, that's just one of the songs on the record that I've had the most response from for that reason. And so I think it's a lesson in kind of following your... You know your your own path and your instinct as far as what you want to do and what feels true to you as an artist.
0: Writing a new song, do you start with a story? Do you start with a guitar hook? Like, what is the thing that is the seed?
2: It's always different. I mean, I'm a very melody-driven person, so, you know, when I sit down, I'm probably sitting down messing with my guitar, in that case, and and it just kind of came out of nowhere. A lot of the time I have, you know, I, I write down little snippets on my phone all the time of lyric ideas. And a lot of the time it's just me putting those two things together because I tend to be very melody driven and and, and record lots of little ideas like that on my phone. And, and um, you know, and then I co-write some as well. and But I tend to realize that this, I don't often get songs out of just going in and doing the kind of traditional Nashville write um, where we're just coming up with something I don't know. It has to be driven by my own experience, I think, for me to feel passionate about it. So, you know, all of my songs come from an emotional place. There's some kind of emotional drive behind it that is what drives me to write and want to communicate through song, you know. Um, And so for me, it's always starts with some kind of emotional drive, some kind of melody, maybe a little snippet or an idea behind what, what that emotion is. And then it just kind of comes together in different ways.
0: How do you feel that you've evolved as an artist and a songwriter since your first record and Far From Home this year?
2: Um, You know, I had more hand in the production of this record and, and felt a little more sure of myself. And, you know, I knew that I wanted this. I had been listening to a lot of what I call desert music, like Quentin Tarantino soundtracks and the Ventures in Space record and and stuff like that and kind of had that vibe in mind for this record. And then I heard about the studio Sonic Ranch, which was in outside of El Paso. Um, and it felt like, you know, this sounds like the place I need to go make this record <laughs> and uh, was fortunate enough to do so. And so for me, I mean, both records I've made, you know, it's about getting the right people in the room, I think, kind of having a vision for the project and then letting, you know, letting it happen and and making sure everything has room to breathe and kind of letting these musicians that are incredible that have each have their own musical voice kind of contribute to this in their own way. And I knew who I was musically. It just felt like I was becoming personally more uh, sure of myself, you know, and, and more willing to speak up in the studio and all that kind of stuff.
0: Do you find that people still uh, take female performers and artists less seriously?
2: I mean, it's really hard to gauge. I think it just depends on who you are. I mean, if you're a mainstream country listener, I mean, I see people on Twitter constantly just saying, I still see people saying, if women want to be played on the radio, they need to make better music. And I think, are you joking? Like, I I don't understand. Like, you know, so... I yeah, I guess there are people who still think that. But then I know there's plenty of people who think that m- women are making better music right now because they don't have any limitations on what they can do because nobody's giving them any opportunities, you know? So, so uh, yeah, it's I definitely think that's still the case. But, I, you know, I think it's changing. But I also just think it depends on who who you are and who you're surrounded by.
0: Like what does your mom say to something like that? what women need to to make better music (laughs) to really break through
2: i think she's at the point where she just is like "I, i don't care i'm just gonna make whatever i want you know but obviously she comes from an era of a lot of women who were very successful in mainstream country music so um and people are saying that's changing now there there are it seems more women on the charts particularly this year and last year
0: i definitely didn't grow up listening to mainstream country and yet like Shania Twain was always on in our house Mm -hmm. because it felt like it just was part of your everyday life. It wasn't like, oh, I'm listening to country music. It was just good hook filled music that you loved playing at full volume, (laughs) dancing around with your sister.
2: (laughs) I know. And it would seem like there was a lot more crossover at that point too. I know there's some now, but I wonder what that is, you know, Um, but I mean, even then, I remember growing up and and being embarrassed to say that my mom sang country music because not because of the country music that I know and love and that she knows and loves, but because of some of the stuff that people think of when they think of country music, you know, and I think it's the same today.
0: Did you actually feel embarrassed to say that your mom sang country music?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely and I I, when I went to middle school I didn't want to tell anyone that my mom was a singer at all I I mean I just I wanted uh, yeah I wanted people to not see that when they saw me you know I just wanted them to see me and not become Liam Womack's daughter and then that's all anyone sees when they see you you know especially at a time when she was so
0: popular um yeah that makes sense
2: yeah so but I mean people found out
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, you know, We had some really um, sad news that we learned last night in the yeah. sort of roots Americana world with uh, Justin Towns Earl passing.
2: I know, it's And uh,
0: you were able to do a really cool duet with his dad, Steve Earl, who I've had on this very program. Really, oh, really yeah? sweet dude. And um, that song, My Love Will Not Change, feels like <laughs> you guys just hitting it hard like ZZ Top is your backing band.
2: <laughs> I love that.
0: It's so good.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I was familiar with the bluegrass version of that song uh, that Del McCurry did. And Sean Camp wrote it and Billy Burnett, who are great artists. And, and I just had always just loved that song and had a vision to do it in the way that you're you're hearing, you know, just kind of a more rock you know, I call my music garage country. I just kind of wanted to put that sound on it and Steve was a huge influence on me and I think kind of the one of the originators of that kind of rock and country s- sound. and uh, you know so I asked a friend if they think you know if they could ask him if he would do it I, I'd never thought he would actually do it, but he agreed to do it and and so uh, but I couldn't have imagined anyone else. I don't think I would have gotten anyone else to sing on it if he had said no. Uh, you know, and so it's just like a total bucket list moment to get to sing with him.
0: Well, I think what is unique about someone like Steve is that he's gone in and out of so many subgenres within roots music. And it all seems natural when he does it, you know, because he, yeah, can play traditional old time string band music and then play shit kicking rock and roll and it feels Mm -hmm. like totally natural back-to-back on one of his records.
2: Well, you know, in in all the music I like, and he has this, tons of this, but it's just that honesty and that kind of raw, he's just very raw, and you can feel it. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about with some of the, you know, slicked up music that, that lacks that soul and, and those origins that we we're familiar with is that, you know, all that music to me, because, you know, I love bluegrass, I love blues, I love rock, I love traditional country, but all of that stuff to me has that same element of soul in it. That's what ties it all together, I think. It's the simplicity of emotion and raw, you know, just honesty and soul, and, and he has that, and I think that's why somebody like him is able to go from what would be considered a different genre to genre because it's not about the genre as much as the core of what he's you know, singing. Seasons come and
1: seasons go And the reason you left Guess I'll never know. There will be others, yes, I know
0: it it was cool to see that song uh, nominated for Americana Song of the Year and, uh, you know, someone like you getting a bigger platform to share your music because um, like I said, I think you're a little weirder and a little more out there than a lot of people in the uh, even in the Americana roots yeah. scene right now. You know, you're not um, sort of uh, tying yourself to any one um, place. And I really dig the uh, the three-song EP you just put out, World on Fire, because <laughs> it feels pretty yeah. right <laughs> right about now. But also, you paying homage to uh, some of your heroes like uh, Dwight Yoakam and you know, Wicked Game is one Mm -hmm. of my all-time favorite songs. It's so simple and so so mournful and so um, deep, like the sadness. And how did you gravitate to the three songs that you did on that little EP?
2: Yeah. So that was a time when we went in to record that, it was a time when my boyfriend, Ethan Ballinger and I, who produced it together, we were kind of having a tough year. And I think that was two years ago, 2018, that we recorded it actually. But um, we were having a tough year ourselves and we just wanted to go in the studio and record music for fun. We had no idea, you know, no intention of what we we're going to do with it or whatever. Let's just go do this, not worry about anything. We don't ever have to do anything with it. Let's just make it because it's fun. And, and so I picked, you know, three songs that I loved and not only have listened to a lot and have had a huge impact on me because of that, but just songs that I actually had a vision for what I wanted them to be if I were to sing them myself, you know, and Wicked Game has been covered so many times, you know, but it's just to me a perfect song and one of my all-time favorites, and I just really wanted to do it, and like I said, who cares if anyone else did it because we're just doing it for fun, so uh, we did that. We held on to them for a while, and and it seemed like the perfect time to put them out, you know, because even though I just released a record in February, you know, it had already been, it felt like a lifetime, <laughs> six months or whatever after that, uh, in quarantine. And I, I wanted a way to keep sharing music and, and World on Fire, of course, is, comes from a line in that song and felt so perfect for the time we were in. And since we had made that record in a difficult time for us, I felt like, you know, it was, it felt like totally right to put it out at this time. And then also the Somebody Was Watching which was written by Brenda Burns but I knew the Pop Staples version and feel like that's really a timely song right now.
0: Do you feel like there is a higher power watching over you?
2: <laughs> um yes, I do. I you know, I grew up my family's religious and you know, I would say that I'm not super religious but I definitely feel that there's something bigger um and I feel like I'm becoming more and more in touch with that part of myself too over the past few years and and I would say far from home even felt like a kind of spiritual song to me in that way and you know I don't have any answers as to what any of it is but I definitely do feel there's something bigger just from a sociology point of view you know religion has been really helpful to people like you said just to give them community and help lift them up and you know all kinds of great social aspects and and things like that that you get from it. But also, like you said, people use it as a shield to hide things that they're doing and an outlet to condemn and judge other people. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really hard thing to balance I think. And, and that's why, you know, and of course going back to just being, you know, bucking the system as usual, I just, you know, find your own path. I think is, is, definitely what i'm doing.
0: Well yeah, that, you know, that title track Far From Home has that line always searching all alone. <laughs> and really that's i think what artists are doing that many other people don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, asking the questions that are too personal, are too scary to ask.
2: Yeah, and also getting yourself outside of your comfort zone. I think naturally, as an artist, you're putting yourself in a business as well as just personal connections, where you're making yourself very vulnerable. You're making yourself, you know, subjecting yourself to rejection all the time, and and all these other things that make you as a person comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, and um, and exposure. A therapy. lot of yeah, exactly, and a lot of people don't do that in their lives, you know? And I think that's why you get a lot of people who feel stagnant because they, they won't put themselves in uncomfortable positions. And so I think artists naturally have to do that a lot. And some people don't. Some people, like we were talking about, they numb themselves or they, you know, retreat or whatever else. But but I think being uncomfortable is something that you... And it's also an outlet. It's like a cycle because the music itself is an outlet for that those uncomfortable feelings.
0: Was there a show where you felt like you almost would have a panic attack on stage? Because I know that happens to people with anxiety. Like, does that, is that something that has occurred?
2: I remember, uh, well, yes, it's occurred. I remember three instances, in fact, at least. I mean, there's more than that. But I remember, I remember one time it being so bad that I thought I was going to have to run off the stage. And it was, but you have this added pressure that you're putting on yourself because you go, you know, if if I do that, No. what if people don't want to book me anymore? They know that I have anxiety, you know, for so long, I didn't tell anyone at all. My manager, you know, I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want them to think I was incapable or whatever. So, you know, you're just having to internalize it, which of course makes it 10 times worse. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, there was a time, I think I was opening up for Marty Stewart. Um, and, I remember literally crying up until the point where I was walking out on stage. It was awful. I'm sure people could tell. Um, but you know, I just said like, you have to do it. I don't care. Like you're doing it or you're never going to get over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, uh, I remember that. And I remember one time when I was opening up for Hayes Carl, I also was had a big, you know, it was like, but I got through it all, you know, I I ended up making it, but it was very like teetering on the edge. <laughs>
0: when something like that is happening, do you talk to the audience about it or do you sort of go into performer mode and start really like putting on a show?
2: No, I can't. Yeah. I couldn't talk to people about it for some reason that does not help me. (laughs) Um, it, it helped me to just, I would, I mean, I would, I remember at the time I would look down and just count down the songs. Like you got three songs, you know, you made it, you made it through half the set and I would have like a little celebration in my head. Like you've gotten this far, you're still on the stage. And I would count, you know, the songs I had left. Okay. That's another one. And, you know, that's just kind of the, like we were talking about just playing mind games with yourself, which is so unfortunate too, because it makes you unable to kind of be totally present. Um, But, It's just something that you have to, or for me, I just had to do. It's not something that I can get over unless you get out there and do it. And, you know, thankfully over time it it reduced. Although, you know, I still get probably more nervous than a lot of people. A lot of people say like the only time I feel happy is on stage or, you know, I, I, you know, have anxiety in my life, but not on stage or whatever. And I'm done. That's not my experience at all.
0: Well, it's like you're dealing with your biggest fear in front of a crowd of strangers.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've sang on, you know, I've been on tiny stages with nobody, and I've played in arenas and stuff, and I actually find it much easier to play bigger venues um, because I don't know why. There's just something about it that feels less, intimate and like, you know, I don't like to play listening rooms for that reason. Like it's silent, you know, and it's like, right. it feels so much more stressful to me than playing in a big arena where you can just rock out and, you know, you can only see the people right in front of you. And, you know, it's, it. there's something about that intimacy that makes it more uh, anxiety provoking.
0: What is the biggest show you think you've played?
2: Um, probably... You know, I, I've opened up for Miranda Lambert and Chris Stapleton. And, you know, so Miranda's shows were huge, of course. And then Chris, towards the end of me playing with him, was getting really huge. You know, we played one show. I'm trying to remember where it was. It was an outdoor show. And it, I walked out on, I have pictures of it somewhere. I mean, I walked out, I had no idea how many people were out there. And I was just like blown away, you know. Um, that was probably, might have been the most people I've ever played for.
0: I mean, it's got to be, unless you're having a panic attack, but it's got to be a pretty (laughs) exhilarating feeling, I think, when you really let loose in front of an arena of people. It's like a rock star, I've arrived moment in some ways, right?
2: Yeah, it's super fun. And, And by that time, too, I was a lot less anxious, you know, so I was able to enjoy it and and I'm really thankful for that, you know, that that happened at that time in my career and not at the beginning <laughs> because, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had, been able to enjoy it as much. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, it's a very, you know, surreal feeling to have all these people staring at you while you're playing your music. <laughs> you know, like it's just uh, when you've never experienced that before.
0: Let's go back uh, even earlier to this uh, Ralph Stanley and Friends record that you were able to sing with your mom uh, on that classic song, White Dove. Tell me about that project, because that was really cool. I remember that when it came out.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ralph Stanley, I always say, is my favorite singer probably ever. He's got such a cool, unique voice and just super amazing and raw bluegrass music, which I love. And, you know, I've Love the banjo. I actually just started learning again. Um, and so when I got that opportunity, but Buddy Miller was producing that record and which he's another one of my all-time favorite heroes. So I was like, Oh, Buddy Miller's producing Ralph Stanley. Yes. (laughs) I will come do that. Um, and total like bucket list moment. Truly I've gotten to sing with two of my biggest musical heroes of all time. So it's kind of, hard to top at this point, you know, and, uh, you know, I got to see him as well play, uh, not too long before that. So, uh, for the first and only time. So I'm glad I got to have both those experiences.
0: Yeah. There's artists like him that I think transcend, um, time and space in a way.
2: I mean, this amount of soulfulness in his singing is like a next level. I mean, yeah like you said I mean it's it's just it transcends everything I remember when Oh Brother Where Art Thou's soundtrack was so popular and they I think they played on like the Grammys right. and he sang Oh Death and it's like people like Justin Timberlake were in the audience like what the hell am I like what is this <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> like you know what I mean I mean it's like it's just there's nothing else like it you know um, it's
1: just yeah it's incredible as a year, is
0: for some reason i i felt the need to record like a 58 second version of o death on one of our earliest records and it's just me banging a drum in a studio room <laughs> like <laughs> like saying o oh, death over and over again i don't think i actually <laughs> even said any of the other like real lyrics i just like felt the need <laughs> which is like kind of embarrassing to listen to it now, but I think at that moment I was so moved by that soundtrack and Ralph Stanley yeah. doing it that I was like, I, I need to like tell people to listen to this song somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bang on this drum awkwardly and shout into this microphone. <laughs>
2: that's amazing. I love that.
0: Oh, I have to do one creative exercise with you before we go because that's the fun part of this. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: I want you to clear your mind best you can. Oh god. And the first thing that you think of, just say it. Okay. When I say the following things. Okay. Could be from anywhere in your in your life, could be from a song, something that moved you in the past. Just just let it roll. Here we go. First thing you think of when I say Raven's Blood
2: edgar Allan poe (laughs) yeah i mean am i playing this game right i'm literally just saying what pops into my head
0: (laughs) you're doing it correctly okay (laughs) there is no wrong answer okay (laughs) i would love to hear an ep of you reinterpreting edgar Allan poe
2: (laughs) i would love that um yeah i my mom used to read me the raven i think that's why i thought of that but um yeah, I mean, that's what. Nevermore. Yes. I, and I read a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe around Halloween every year and fall time. That's my favorite time of year. Um, I love Gothic writers. I also love, this is kind of different, but um, Daphne Du
0: mm.
2: Love her writing. And just, I'm really drawn to that kind of solitary, Gothic, mysterious kind of stuff.
0: Okay, next creative word. <laughs> his treetop
2: um i thought of my camper i have a Shasta camper um and i haven't been able to use it much because things are closed here i'm actually taking it back to tennessee with me um when i leave but yeah that's i'm not a big outdoorsy person but i love my camper and and uh and i love the kind of this reminded me of um up in the northwest like i went to a place called bainbridge island outside mm. of seattle
0: yeah it's beautiful um
2: oh my god incredible i just think that kind of scenery it was so we had this day where we opened up for hayes carl and we had to take the van and put it on a ferry and ride the ferry onto the island and when we arrived on the island it was all the power had gone out because it was raining and And apparently that happens a lot there, but there was no power anywhere. So everything was dark. It was like super gloomy, foggy, rainy. And we sat in the van and watched a movie until the power came back on so we could sound check. It's like one of my favorite memories on the road ever.
0: What is the diceiest, scariest show you think you've ever played?
2: I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know. I'm so used to playing like little holes in the walls. (laughs) I think that's like most of my shows. (laughs) No, I I can't think of anything specific that was, like, terrible. I mean, we've been robbed, but, like, our van has been broken into. Um, Where? I don't even even remember where we were, though. It was somewhere in the south.
0: The (laughs) only time our minivan was broken into was, like, the last place I ever thought we would be robbed, which is, like, right in downtown Vancouver, British Columbia. Wow. I was like, really, (laughs) Canada? That's where this is going to happen after, like, eight years of playing in (laughs) dicey... Good times. All right, last word, lustful.
2: Nothing came to mind. Is that really scary?
0: <laughs> what is the most romantic song that you can think of? Like, what is what is the song that you and your boyfriend first listened to when you were falling for each other?
2: Oh, Lord. See, this is where people are going to see the true me because I am not romantic. <laughs>
0: Maybe you're so unromantic that you're romantic. It goes full circle.
2: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm one of those people that's like, I hate, like, I hate pet names because I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying to think of an example of one that's more, a little more specific than like babe or something. But I'm always like, I remember thinking, especially when I was younger, I started dating, like, if you call everyone that. Then what the what's special about it? <laughs> like, right. I'm one of those like you know like I think I'm too logic brained sometimes where I'm like but then I'm also extremely sensitive. This goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is like just total paradox.
0: Wait, so what was the song that you guys had? We don't,
2: I don't know. I don't even. We don't even have a song. <laughs> he made me. He made me like a playlist. You know, this is funny too. I don't know if you're into astrology, but like. We're both, we have the same Venus sign, which is Pisces, okay? And it's very, like, sensitive, but, like, need independence, but, like, like, not super romantic, but also sweet. I feel like that defines our relationship and also just constant sense of humor where he made me a playlist that was supposed to be romantic, but, like, half of it's a joke. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Like, he found a song by some random person that's, like, says you know, Dear Aubrey in it. And it's not, it's like, (laughs) it's just a humorous playlist, really. I don't think I have, I I have a hard time being seriously, like, romantic or like, you know, I guess I find it's kind of cheesy.
0: Well, using humor and using irony is maybe the most, you know, ironically romantic thing that he can do (laughs) for you. Totally. (laughs) I always remember my first, like, quote-unquote girlfriend in seventh grade. We, like, you know, kissed, and then, like, a month went by. She went to a different school, so I didn't see her that often. And then she called me up, and she's like, oh, it's our one-month anniversary. I was like, okay, like, great. She's like, are you <laughs> listening to our song? And I was like, we have a song? <laughs> she's like, yeah, it's One Week by Bare Naked Ladies, obviously. You know.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: 'Cause I was clearly out at that point and it was popular. And I was like, Yeah, I love that That's song. That's our song. Had, oh my god. I had gosh. no idea like what she was talking about, but apparently we had we had made out to that song. And so she's like, Well, yeah, it's our song, obviously.
2: That's hilarious. Like, I think get too, with be- the program. I think too, because Ethan and I are both musicians and actually met him because he was playing guitar with my mom and we play music together all the time, you know, and I don't know. Maybe because we're just constantly steeped in music, we don't we don't really have have one song.
0: What song would you like to uh, present to us as we finish up this episode?
2: Hmm, I feel like based on the themes of this chat, I'll I'll play the title track off my record, "Far From Home."
0: Love it. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you could keep putting out new music even in this bizarre hiatus that we're all forced to be on. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I hope people can listen to that, uh, world on fire EP because it is fire.
2: Thank you so much.
0: So you're going to be taking the camper back to Tennessee.
2: I am. We'll see what happens.
0: <laughs> is it a big one? Like, can you like sleep in there on the way
2: there? You can sleep in there, but only only Ethan and I. There's not any room for more than just two people.
0: We'll stay safe on the roads.
2: Thank you so much.
1: We are traveling through what? Wow. the story
0: to Aubrey Sellers for talking to me and sharing her music from home you can go to AubreySellers.com for her music her newest record as I mentioned is called Far From Home and her covers EP is called World on Fire featuring Wicked Game by Chris Isaac If you head over to thebluegrasssituation.com, you can see a wonderful video where Aubrey is singing with her mom, Leanne Womack, at home. Keep on the sunny side. It is a wonderful video from the Whiskey Sour Happy Hour. So check that out, bluegrasssituation.com, and the wonderful new podcast called Harmonics with Beth Bears from Two Broke Girls. Indeed, BGS has an entire podcast network for Roots Music aficionados like you, including Toy Heart with Tom Power, where he talks to bluegrass luminaries like Ricky Skaggs and more. As you may have heard at the top of this episode, My Gang Dust Bowl Revival has our first show happening. Live music for the first time in six months here in L.A., 20 seats only, speakeasy sessions at Jam in the Van, October 2nd. Please check that out. We would love to see you there. If you can't get a ticket to that, never fear. There will be a high-quality live stream that you can watch anywhere in the world. They light us up real nice and will sound pretty good too if I can remember how to play music in front of an audience so please check that out jaminthevan.com and dustbowlrevival.com for more if you're curious when our next Sway at Home Music Fest is happening that is our virtual music gathering where bands from around the world come together and share their songs well our October lineup is almost ready and people on this very show will be there so check it out You can go to DustBullRevival.com for the newest updates. And our YouTube channel has Swayed Home 3, the entire broadcast for your viewing pleasure, including performances by the California Honey Drops and more. Last but not least, please register to vote. It is Voter Registration Day. We are 41 days away from a historic election, and indifference is not an option this time, guys. That is what the dark side wants. Don't give in to the dark side. Register to vote vote.org and movement voter project check that out for grassroots fundraising on causes that matter now if you want to support this show please subscribe share with a friend and leave us a fine review on itunes znlupitan that's my last name at gmail.com to donate on paypal and this show is hosted produced and edited by me zach Lupatin. that's it for now we'll see you next week with more episodes Stay safe, stay creative, and as always, I'll see you on the trail.